Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of the Scottish Terrace Football Podcast. Is it Monday? Do you care? We're still in lockdown of sorts. Uh, I'm Duncan Mackay and I'm joined by Tom Watt. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right, I'm all right. How are you getting on, Tom? Yeah, same old. We are on Monday, yeah, and we're uh, slightly less locked down than we were last time, but probably likely to go into even further lockdown if the weekend's anything to go by. Yeah, it seemed a lot of people were kicking the absolute arse out of their newfound yeah. freedom uh, over the weekend, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've kind of only, we'll only have ourselves to blame. <laughs> it wasn't like we were oh. told, but um, yeah, yeah. A, a, a wry laugh at that when it's not funny in the slightest. Yeah. When you, anyway. when, when, yeah, when you can go forwards as well as backwards, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of things that might be coming back, uh, yeah, we're going to go through a few of the headlines in Scottish football because I think that's what you kind of expect from Monday show when there's no football to talk about. And then we'll do we'll finish up with one of uh, uh, Scotland's memorable matches, latest in the series. I'm not sure what number it is. Um, I'm not sure when we'll get to number one, but we'll get there in the end. So I suppose the big. The big news over the last few days is that football might be back. It, is the, it is might the, be. It might be. Yeah. We, we so, might, I mean, with with the caveat that we just made that if uh, people keep going out and getting smashed in parks and going to beaches on mass, then it's never ever coming back. But so listen to what you're told and do what you're told and don't don't kill old people. But um, yeah, provisionally. Games could restart from August the 1st. Um, clubs will be allowed to train again from the 11th of June, uh, according yeah. to the National Clinical Director. Um, we're not quite sure on details of what that means. We're not quite sure of what competitions will be up and running, what competitions will start, what those competitions will look like. But 
provisionally, the good news is... It's a big mystery first. box. Yes, we've got it's a big a, yes. mystery. Yeah, um, yeah I think uh, the caveat is not that we need to be in phase two of lockdown uh, for the, those uh, games to start on the 1st of August. And we know that they will be behind closed doors. Um, how excited are you by the prospect of football being back, but it, but it being played behind closed doors? T- tentatively excited. I think that it, it was nice. I mean, I have watched Korean football and taken much more of an interest in German football than I'd ever liked to or have ever previously thought I would purely because it was there. And yeah. I think maybe when the, like, when the English League comes back and I know a bit more about that, then it's a bit more exciting. And actually having Scottish football back regardless of the fact that fans are not are not likely to be I mean I think probably it's stage three and stage four that fans would even be allowed in the stadium so we're talking August September if everything goes according to plan before the fans will be allowed in but just the fact that I mean a, a couple of weeks ago it seemed like there was a distinct possibility we might not have Scottish football for a year at least we might just have to write it off and and hope that at some point it could come back with whatever clubs are still standing. So the fact that they, there does seem to be um, a, a plan in place and the, an opportunity to get back up and running um, for in some shape or form, whatever shape or form that is, in, in what, two months' time, so you know, no time at all, is, is big news. It is quite good news. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what, what that'll look like. I mean, the, the, we'll get on to like the... the the clubs that have released a ton of players, so we're not quite sure what shape squads will look like, what 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 tournament we'll we'll start with, uh, and what it'll look like. But the, the very fact there's some kind of plan in place and and it, it it's tantalisingly close does get my juices going. Yeah, I think for me it, um, the announcements that like you again, it's the sort of thing. There's nothing definite and stuff, but it feels like there is light in at the end of the tunnel. Um, but it doesn't mean that that tunnel, that getting out of the tunnel, isn't uh, <laughs> quite a number of miles away. But it's still light nonetheless. Um, again, you know, is that it's the idea that in ten days' time we could potentially be being spammed by our Premiership clubs with uh, players coming back in in potentially new training kit. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that gets people going. Um, you know, uh, and them um, doing uh, players doing socially distant. Um, training and, and such like is pretty pretty exciting given that we had such an uncertain period of time over the last few months um one of the things one of the other things i saw was there was a, a story of peter law you know wanting a, a fixture list to be confirmed as soon as possible and i, I was i i was a bit like well yeah and no like i was like yeah yeah it'd be yeah. quite good yeah to know that we're having a league yeah that that would be yeah. great but also the same like if the game is behind closed doors, it doesn't really matter who we're playing. Yes. Like you know, like the games could be taking place at like ten in the morning for as far. Like you know, the, the in terms of the inconvenience to me now as a as a, a punter is is uh, pretty low now. You know, in terms of oh, will I get caught up in the tra- There's going to be no traffic. There's going to be nothing reward to that. So like, do I need to know who Hibs are playing two weeks away? No, because I don't have to make any plans to to go and see the game or anything like that. Yeah, exactly, and you know there will be no strongly worded statements for trains not put on to get you know to, to get to get fans in five minutes before uh, a clash on a Sunday. I, I think 
what I don't, didn't really understand about Pierre Lovell's statement is that, that everyone, everyone would quite like to know the fixtures, but, but it's very low down the list of priorities. Like you say, like, yeah, it'd be, it would be great to know. But at the same time, I don't, I don't really care about opening. Just the fact there is an opening day is, is well, a really being good achievement. Thing. Yeah, will be an achievement like, in itself. Yeah, and let, hopefully there's a bit of common sense when, um, when games get going that it's not all you know three o'clock on a Saturday. Let's try and space games out so that people can watch them, and you know maybe spread them over Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, so that the, so that they can be televised properly. And I think that's far more the, the logistics of actually getting the season up and running are far more important than the possibility of you having to, you know, you, you, you having to go up to Dingwall after a Europa League game, which isn't going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I think there's just so many, still so many unknown elements. And I, get, I mean, there's been an element of uh, seeing some games behind closed doors won't look any different to how it is as a television product because of the way that certain clubs uh, yeah. play, sell tickets. So like, there's it's going to be strange. I'm really hoping, like, having watched a couple of the Bundesliga games and stuff like that, I mean, it, there doesn't. I, I'm, I'm trying to work out if it's it's been deliberate their lack of innovation in terms of mm. wanting to kind of stifle it so you, that you don't offer a, a product that. People want that people actually prefer to go and see in grounds, which I don't think would ever happen. But you, there's, I just think there's a lot more that could be done. I mean, I think the what will be interesting when the, the Premiership comes, but the English Premiership comes back in a couple of weeks' time is whether we're going to have a better pick up in terms of what you're hearing the conversations on the pitch and stuff like that. I think that will be a really interesting, unique aspect of behind closed doors, behind closed doors. Duh, 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 behind closed doors <laughs> games, I got a wee uh, bit of the Joel Skeds there, um, but you know that that's not really like you know that, that I wouldn't want to hear what um, you know Dylan McGeoch was saying to to Lewis Ferguson above going to see a game in the stand. You know, um, so like, I'm yeah, I'm not I'm not too fussed about that. But I, I suppose the other thing we should notice is that the uh, well, this is for the what seems to be first all of Scottish football, but again, it's up to the league bodies to decide. Um, the the women's league have uh, come out and said that they are not sure what they're doing yet. Um, largely, you know, they don't think they're necessarily going to have the money to do any of the testing and stuff like that. So, yeah, we're, it's um, whilst it's good for it, like the, uh, what I keep saying about this pandemic is, I think it, it like it just keeps um, demonstrating um, fractures that already existed. You know, it's, it's it's exacerbated them more, and so you know, it's not a surprise that clubs out with the full time teams in Scotland uh, don't have a lot of spare capacity to go on. You know, they don't they don't they don't have lots of revenue coming in. Otherwise, um, you know, and, and the same with with the women's game. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be be interesting to see what happens there because I think having there's been so much momentum with within women's football um, and how well the, the national team's doing. It'd be a shame for uh, us to end up with our, like, like in England actually with the Women's Super League that's been cancelled as well this season kind of seems unilaterally without uh, any sort of uh, plan for how they're going to get the game back and, and, and get people uh, you know, people continue to be interested in it Yeah it has been I mean it, it, it's not that surprising when they're real, like, realistically I mean they're, they're talking about like COVID-19 testing kits being like £5,000 a week mm-hmm. and Realistically, there are two clubs 
that could afford to burn £5,000 a week in Scotland at any level. So as soon as you start talking about clubs that are, are reliant on, or on, foot, on footfall, that have to rely on benefactors, that have to rely on um, more of a community spirit that, and that have built momentum but I've kind of relied on that momentum as soon as that momentum disappears, you do kind of worry worry for them. And I, and I think it's not hugely surprising that, I mean, in Scotland, the difference between reaching the, the fourth or the fifth round of the Scottish Cup is the difference between players getting contracts or not for the vast majority of the top flight. So never mind people that are able to, to spend money on, on, on medical kit, additional medical kit. So when you get down to... Uh, leagues that are not as well funded in the women's game it, it has come on leaps and bounds in terms of the funding but obviously the, the, the funding is not going to be there because it's not there for anyone else in Scotland either yeah. well, It's still a part-time game and that's, that, I mean that's the, element, the, the, the illness element, the health element of part of it. if you're a part-time player it means that you are interacting with other people in your normal day-to-day job uh, and so that, will, that would definitely have impact um, elsewhere, if you were then having to go into a football ground or wherever to play a game, so uh, yeah, we, we we don't want to see that. We'll go on to the next thing, which is kind of uh, related, is that we might have a benefactor who seems seems to want to to help. We don't really know what is going on, uh, but but because it's Scottish football, we couldn't simply just have a benefactor come forward and say nice things. He wants to do good things. There has to be a row and there has to be a drama around that. Um, and this one is obviously it's, uh, involving Anne Budge. Um, what, what do you make of uh, James Anderson and uh, this strange saga so far? And, and people, it's, yeah, I was just characterised, people were sceptical, myself included, when we first heard about a philanthropist that wants to help out uh, and ensure that Scottish football survives. Um, because Scottish football fans, I think, are rightly sceptical of messiahs. We've been <laughs> we've been burnt on this one <laughs> one too many times before, um, and so yeah. Uh, whereas not, he, he exists and has a name. Yeah, um, I mean, there there are a number of reasons why people were sceptical in the in the off. First of all, Anne Budge revealing some philanthropist friend that would be willing to put. Uh, put money into Scottish football to, to save, it seems like, to, to at least to help out with, with clubs at all levels. Um, now, there is that thing, if something's too good to be true, then it's too good to be true. And, and there did seem to be no sp- strings attached to this. And initially, it did seem like it, it was bound to be tied up in some call for reconstruction or, or, or you know, hearts being hearts and part of this will being spared um, re- relegation. It does sound like it, it's kind of it, it legit. <laughs> it's legit, which I, I like my cynical head just can't buy into it because like, so James Anderson is a, a, a serious investor. Like he's got, he's got a trust fund worth just short of 10 billion pounds sponsors, the Edinburgh film festival involved in Scottish opera He's got shares on in Facebook. He's got shares in Ferrari. He's like he's serious. I think he's the second biggest investor in Tesla after yeah. Elon Musk. Like he he's seriously wealthy. 
and it's and been revealed that he has has invested in heart. Well, not not yeah. invested really. Uh, thrown money into a giant well outside Tynecastle yeah. Park. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's 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 propped up Hearts effectively, uh, and and put money in um, over the last couple of years, like sizable sums of money. So, I I I I want to believe that he's doing this <laughs> entirely out of the goodness of his own heart, and it, I really do sincerely hope that is true. But people, there is this nagging part of me that says that people don't front up money to you, like you don't get that wealthy and you don't manage trust funds and you don't invest in Facebook if you don't either see some potential for your, your return investment somewhere along the line or you want to affect some change in it and like I, I really really hope that's not true and I am willing to take him at his word but like you know like you say we've we've we've, we've had we've many seen this rodeo. yeah we've seen this we rodeo before like yeah, yeah. We've we've been along this path before, and there are not that there are a number of reasons. Like everyone loves, if you're listening to this, you love Scottish football. I love Scottish football. Is the you know it's the best, most dramatic, stupidest, most amazing leagues in the world. And there's so many great stories and the characters involved in it and everything about it. Love it. But, but it does not make it. An, it is not a an good model of investment yeah. at the moment when leagues all over Europe, like you know, they're queuing up to invest in Syria. Because Italian clubs are are struggling for money, and there's a serious possibility of getting your money back. There yeah, because- I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing. Like people said, oh, you like the 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 proposition of Scottish football isn't as serious as you say I am. It's like, well, yeah, no shit, because Scotland's a, po- a population of five million, and at least uh, you know seventy million. So, and also like reading into it, you can see why a big venture capital fund like CBC would want to invest in Syria because there is a noticeable thing that they can spend their money on, which is bricks and mortar. They can build stadiums for clubs and get, you know, because at the moment, if you're not aware, a lot of Italian clubs, they don't own their own stadiums. They, um, they, they're they owned by the local uh, local council and then rented at, you know, dirt cheap rate and stuff. But that is one of the reasons why if you go to a lot of Serie A and especially Serie B grounds, they don't look like they've had any money spent on them since uh, Italia 90. Uh, so which is fun uh, especially if you are I mean, like I went to the Sampdoria Stadium uh, which is absolutely fantastic and as good as is as good as it looks on TV and stuff like that but uh, you would not want to be sitting there in a pack stadium because the seat the, the you must have must have to be about five foot two to uh, comfortably enjoy yourself in that ground like the way the seats are laid out yeah, yeah, I've been to a couple. Of, I've been to Fiorentina. I've been to uh, Bologna. Both of them are Bologna Stadium is almost like you know Roman chariot racing. With the last time it got an upgrade, it's beautiful though. It's lovely. And yeah. like you say, there's 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 a there's a possibility of making your money back, and there's um, there, there's the infrastructure in place and and laws in place and laws not in place in Italy that mean <laughs> that you are able to. Uh, it's a very very attractive investment for someone. I'd love this to be genuinely coming into bailout Scottish football and prop it up and ensuring that we see through the next. Because you know, if, if clubs see through the next year, there will be many leagues and many countries around Europe that don't, and those that can see off this year will be in relative positions of strength in comparison to a lot of other leagues around Europe. So it'd be amazing if we could all, 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 all clubs at all levels in the men's and women's games can can, can see through it. But there is this this nagging doubt that you've got to want something. Yeah, I think that's I think that's 
I think we're right to be cynical as well because I think we, yeah, we we we've all uh, seen the bad stories over the years, and I, and I think this is exactly the sort of time where you don't want to be getting into into league with uh, people that you don't know a lot about, and so I think there was a lot of criticisms in the SPFL, um, you know, there been it was been served to them on a plate and stuff. It's like you would also then turn around and expect the SPFL to do some do jail do some due diligence on these individuals and you know, I don't think it's that crazy as uh, some people some journalists on Twitter suggested they I don't think it's that crazy to ask for a one pager or, or you know, <laughs> a, a, an idea of how much like you know, this is the thing if someone says I want to invest in you like the the, the first question will always be well how much and for what are you, what are you wanting for that? You can't just like you don't just take the meeting with someone just because they say I've got money. Like that doesn't get you into Hamden or doesn't get you onto a Zoom call with with Neil Doncaster and uh, and uh, Murdoch McLennan. You know, like that. Like there should be some parameters in which that's been set. Like you know, yeah. like you because know, if it turns out actually what he wants is a shitload of money to to invest in Scottish football, but actually he wants returns on it. That's a lot more difficult for the SPFL as a membership organisation to sell to all of its members. Because frankly, we've seen this entire this entire uh, spring and into summer how difficult it is to get things done in a membership organisation where people are where people are going to be treated uh, better than others. Like I think that's I don't think it's unfair for uh, the SPF. I don't. I, you know, I think we have been critical of the SPFL in the show in the past, but I think on this one, I'm not that uh especially when especially when it was um brought up as you know uh you know, a, a mysterious uh, mystery benefactor and stuff like that of course we should be suspicious <laughs> right? of course we should like i don't think it's i don't yeah. think it's a, a, i think <laughs> yeah it, it, you really didn't want to have this Anne's, like Anne's got a mate right yeah <laughs> and she just wants to pile some money in like go fine cool, no right so why is it, yeah and you're like go, oh, yeah. go for it there was yeah. I really didn't want to be like these are huge wall wall inspector vibes, but like there was like you know, there was that element of like yeah, it's like yeah. Remember, <laughs> I mean, literally, I have to just say is remember Gretna. Yeah, no, and I think everybody wants us to be true. And I like whole the you know no disrespect to to James Anderson at all. If he if he's got the money behind it and his, his intentions are pure, he's a very good man and we'll all get behind it. But you do have to ask questions because like, if he, if he is worth what he's worth and he's managing funds of 10 billion pounds, he could, or, or, or let's say not necessarily him, but a benefactor could come in right now and say, look, I'll give you two times what your TV revenue is for the next year, but I want complete league reconstruction. I want these teams and we're going to have no promotion and relegation and we're effectively going to have... Uh, I'm not suggesting that's what he will have. But if you... Like, we are in a relatively desperate position. Clubs are desperate for money. And at the time, we can't just like hand the keys over to someone that's yeah. coming across that, that has has money. They're absolutely right to do due diligence on and everyone involved sincerely hopes that he has the purest of intentions, but you've just got to do a bit of background on it. Exactly. Uh, on to kind of on-field matters, we'll just go through uh, three clubs that have, in the last few days, announced who's going to be leaving and such like. So uh, Celtic were first at the box. Uh, Johnny Hayes and Joseph Suminovich are leaving the club. Um, so two questions to you on this one, Tom. Uh, where do you think Hayes will end up? And are you surprised by Celtic not taking that further year option on Simonovich's contract? Because I have to say that I was, just on the basis that we have such an unknown 
yeah, has a, such an unknown thing happening over the next year. Would it not make sense just to have a guy that we you relatively trust uh, be part of your uh, centre half partnership for next season? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually quite surprised they didn't take up both of them. Um, they, obviously, they had the option on on Simunovic's uh, contract, but I'm surprised that Hayes didn't get another year. Um, on his day, uh, Simunovic is is one of the top two, if not the best defender that they've got. His day hasn't been for the last 18 months or so. He's had a lot of injury problems, but he's not old. He's only 25, 26. Um, and there are, he, he's like the devil you know. Like he's not, if the worst case scenario is he's the fourth choice defender last uh, next season, he's still a very, very capable defender when he's fit. So it seems like, at a time when there's so many questions and, and whether they'll be able to recruit and how they'll be able to recruit and all these things, it seems like you, you would have just have, have had a solved, um, there would have just been a, 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 an answered problem there. So, uh, yeah, surprised they, they didn't take him, uh, take him up on the extra year. I'm surprised they didn't, take, uh, they didn't offer Hayes another contract purely because he's so versatile. Like, he's, he's 32, so I can understand if he wants to leave and start and, you know, going somewhere to to, to play out uh, his career and playing a bit more games. But next year, potentially 10 in a row, he's shown that he's perfectly capable at left-back, actually probably much more capable for Celtic at left-back than he would be uh, as another option because he's another attacking threat. Doesn't He works very hard. He can He's good coming on later games. And he doesn't look like he... Like, he looks like he... he he found a level as a Celtic squad player, um, so I'm quite surprised they didn't they didn't uh, give him another year because again it's a solved solved problem. Um, I think had all things been equal and there been budget, I think he'd have gone back to Aberdeen. I think he he would have been wanted there. Uh, there was a lo- an option for him to go on loan a year ago, and I think he was quite keen for it to happen. Uh, Celtic Celtic next it. Um, I think where the, was there finance available? I think he would go back, and I think it would see Alan again move central, and they'd have him hedges uh, Kennedy and McLennan as options out wide. Whether anyone in Scotland is capable of offering him anything like he he's been accustomed to, um, I think. And what it's probably, some bog standard English yeah, Championship team can offer? Yeah, and you know, a couple of years at a, a mid-level Championship club he will would would be financially very lucrative for him and i think that's probably most likely and then i suppose the other other news is that um motherwell released uh, 10 players over the last few days in hearts uh, 15 which included uh include staff craig levine and austin mcfee um I was I was a little surprised by some of the some of the people on uh, motherwell's list just in terms of i think it must that there will be reasoning behind it but I, you know, I, I would have certainly seen Richard Tate there for, for another year just because he's because of his versatility and stuff like that uh, and to be honest when you look at the hearts you probably want you, you would probably do want as many players as that leaving the club when you've just been uh, turned over uh, if you are going to be playing championship football next season just on the basis that you don't want to be carrying you don't want to go into next season having to carry a lot of players that a you actually don't want there and B are probably just wages that are just uh, taking up uh, well blown up blown a hole in your budget 
Yeah, I, I think that that's all fair. I think the surprise with Motherwell is like it's not it, it's not going to be a surprise for anyone at this time. Um, probably other than Celtic, if players that are out of contract don't get offered contracts that might have in a normal situation had their deals extended by a year or two. Uh, clubs just don't know where money's coming from, so they've got to kind of prioritise the people that are on longer-term deals. Um, so I'm not I'm not hugely surprised to see the players that were out of contract moving on. I, I think, like you say, Richard Tate, very versatile, very solid, has played almost every game over the last couple of seasons. Um, I think... He, in a normal situation, he would uh, he would certainly been offered a, a, an extension, and and similarly with with Hartley, you know, a, a captain and last season uh, a key player. Um, the I only, think, yeah, surpri- no, but I think Hartley will be someone in dem- if we get a season back yeah. up and running here. I think he will not be short of offers in in Scotland at least. Yeah, never I, mind I, England. I think the only surprise is that I mean, they, like you say, they they both may have decided to move on for uh, for their own careers, but the, the surprise is that there is budget to offer Tony Watt a new deal, which suggests that there's some certainty. And Motherwell are fairly sure that they're, they're where some of their you know funds are coming for for next season. So it can't have all been just down to the uncertainty of the times. Mm-hmm. There has to be a little bit more to, to that with, with both of them. Uh, Motherwell, I think that you know, Gillespie will want to play every week and is good enough to do so. Uh, not any other surprises with, with the players that have left because they were just kind of squad fodder. Hearts, if anything, probably need to get rid of more players. Um, it's a joke that, I mean, it, obviously the, the, the situation is what it is, but it's a joke that it's only now that Levine is leaving and... The, you know the, the 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 current manager isn't even the current manager where it doesn't have a contract. Stendhal doesn't have a contract at the moment. So, the, if anything, they need to clear the decks a little bit more. There are players there that are saleable assets, and they'll want to move them on. And there are a handful of players who they would they will want to keep, whether they want to stick around in the championships. Another question. Yeah, uh, and hopefully they'll be able to get someone in uh, next season that they can d- design a microsite for because uh, all that mu- all that expertise they went to creating that one from Machino surely surely shouldn't go to waste. Um, just bring him, bring him back, and then you can get another hit. And then you can just do nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, so the, uh, I suppose the final thing uh, in terms of news is the Scottish Football Writers Association announced their shortlists for uh, an award ceremony that won't be happening uh, in person (laughs) Um, and so we've got the nominees Uh, we'll just go through them and have a wee chat about who we suspect who we would like to and then also who we suspect suspect will win so uh, player of the year Cal McGregor, Odson Edward, Alfredo Morelos and Lauren Shankland I I would probably I mean I'm quite quite surprised Ryan Christie's not there because I would have I would have had him in ahead of one of the Celtic pairing, but I would just imagine one of the Celtic pairing will win it. Um, probably Callum McGregor. Yeah, I th- I think I would give it to Edward, but I think McGregor will win it. I think there's a slight uh, home hometown bias amongst uh, our friends and not so friends in the in the uh, <laughs> in the media. Um, Obviously, Shanklin's there is kind of the the token. He's done well in the championship. We've probably not seen them that much. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Morelos would probably, if he hadn't, if his, if he basically hadn't stunk up twenty twenty, I think he he'd been with a good shout as well. But uh, yeah, 
but if you don't score after coming back from Dubai, then you know it's you kind of make it difficult for yourself. Uh, young Player of the Year nominees are Ali McCann, Lewis Ferguson, Aaron Hickey, and Alan Campbell. So who, think, do you th- who are you going for in terms of who do you think will win and who do you think, who would you like to win? Every single year, I think oh, this is the hardest, this is the hardest one to pick because there's always standout performers. Um, and like, I've tried not to be biased, but I genuinely do think Lewis Ferguson, I think Ali McCann's had a very good spell and kind of cemented his place quite late. Um, Hickey was, has again had a very good spell, but was playing in a, pretty bad hearts team and, and his form suffered as a result Campbell probably would be my second choice but I just think there's a good argument for Lewis, uh, Lewis Ferguson being Aberdeen's best player of the year and um, he's certainly in, it's, he's in the top two um, and he's one of the first names on the team sheet he's been very good throughout the season yeah I, I Lewis Ferguson would be my uh, my vote if I had uh, if I had a, a vote in this uh, but I suspect Ali McCann will get it I think just because there's a, I don't know, it's just more of a, a sort. I think, I think Lewis Ferguson probably stuff, suffers from it from being a bit old, old news really, um, and I think you, know, I think both, I think both uh, McCann and Ferguson and actually Campbell are such high guaranteed starters if they're fit for their teams. Um, but I think, yeah, McCann probably is more important to St. Johnston than Ferguson is to Aberdeen, despite the fact that I think Ferguson's probably had higher uh, higher performances overall. Um, and then on Manager of the Year, we have Dick Campbell, Stephen Robinson, Gary Holt, and Neil Lennon. Uh, I, I think that Dick Campbell. I think Dick Campbell. I think that... Stephen Robinson's done an amazing job. Gary Holt's done, done an amazing job with Livy. Lennon has delivered as expectations and, and, and the league title. But I think in terms of the competition, in terms of where they were where it was expected they would end up, and with the caveat that the season did end early, so there's you can only go you can only go on the on the, the evidence before you. Campbell's been amazing. What they've achieved has just been sensational. They, uh, you know, on, on the edge of the playoffs throughout the season and punching so far above their weight, so far ahead, more than their weight than than anyone else in Scotland, really. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I think Cam- Dick Campbell would be my choice, uh, just <laughs> just because he's uh, a great <laughs> a great guy uh, overall and stuff, and we all know the story. I suspect I think Neil Lennon will get it though because I think there's I think the um, win away in Lazio um, is a, is a big thing and just you know the, tre- the the continuing to win everything you know, nine in the row I think that um, yeah I think that Campbell might just get it might get enough number second I'm not sure how the voting system works but I think he might get enough patronising votes you know from a lot of people being like he did well but like I think they I think they seriously. Uh, I think there's still a Glasgow bias. I think I would say in the the membership of the the Scottish Football Writers Association. I think that would be a fair thing to say, maybe. Um, but uh, we'll f- we'll find out um, at some point, and I'm sure there'll be a virtual awards due, of which the players and managers won't turn up to anyway because <laughs> they're, not, they're not being offered uh, free booze. I think is, is how it, that how I believe that. Um, sort of event is marked uh, so I think lastly I think we've got enough time we're not going to be kicked off soon uh, is uh, the, we're going to the next in our most memorable matches series 
Um, number again, we can't tell you, um, but it took place on the 31st of March 1928 in the British Home Championships at Wembley Stadium. So uh, England score one to Scotland's five. So it was the Wembley Wizards game. Uh, and you know, it must be an important game in international football if it has its own Wikipedia. The game itself has its own Wikipedia page. Um, so, unfortunately, we, we went looking for YouTube highlights and, and the like, and there was none to be had, um, which is not really surprising, seeing that it was 1928. There were some um, British Pathé uh, footage of a Scotland-England match from 1928, but it was a return match later on that year at Ibrox, which is a bit of a disappointment. So one of the most famous vi- uh, Scottish victories of all time uh, is not recorded uh, for, for review, sadly. Yeah, unfortunately, there there was some. I think there there is some like there's a 47 second clip of bits before the game and some action, but no idea on on the games or how the goals were were scored, other than uh, other than the sort of newspaper reports at the time. But yeah, uh, 1928 British Championship uh, to avoid the wooden spoon because uh, Wales had already won it and uh, England only needed a draw to avoid finishing bottom. Um, uh, Scotland had decided to largely go with the uh, a team of players that, that, that played south of the border. Um, it was a, a selection panel back in those days. So uh, as a result, we didn't have like, you know, Jimmy McGrory and Bob McPhail and people like that who, who have ended their careers with 600 plus goals between them. And, and there only were uh, three Scottish-based players in the, in the 11. Um, England were very, very heavily fancied. Uh, the Scotland team had never played together and indeed never played together uh, um, together again. Um, and uh, yeah, it was expected that, that England would, would fairly comfortably win. Uh, but because of the very heavy rain and Scotland playing very, very wide um, and England being very naive to that, uh, Scotland absolutely pumped them and were 1-0 up within a couple of minutes and turn up at half time. Yeah, um, it's it funny you should mention that the, the, this team uh, didn't didn't play together because there was a a match arranged uh, a couple of weeks beforehand at Hamden between a Scottish League eleven and then our English League eleven of made up of Scott uh, Anglo Scots as the, as the team was called, uh, and it was a a one all draw. Um, so it was, that took place on sorry the thirteenth of March, um, and so there was a yeah the. the from that, the selectors made their uh, made their decision, and it was eight players from from the English league, um, which didn't go down well with a lot of uh, <laughs> with a lot of uh, media. And, and uh, believe it or not, there was a large cl- crowd uh, came to the SFA's offices to hear the team being announced, uh, which is odd. Um, but yeah, as you said, a very inexperienced Scotland team. Um, the average uh, number of caps for, in the team was seven. Which uh, you know, admittedly, even back then, when there wasn't a, a great deal of uh, international football being played, that's still not a lot um, for. And uh, yeah, so I think the 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 Daily Record, uh, obviously a, a paper of repute, said that 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 the Scotland team was not a great side, um, despite the fact that four uh, you know, and they were up against an England team that had four. Uh, Players playing for Huddersfield Town, who were the who were the best team in in England at that time, and uh, Dixie Dean was nearing his uh, sixty goal league season, which uh, yeah, I think said that the, it was uh, just a question of how much England were going to win by rather than uh, what Scotland would do, and then 
add to that is that the Scotland forward line, um, the tallest of the five, uh, was uh, five foot seven. So it was a team of midgets, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. That, that, that took took them all, uh, and then uh, so there was that there was the the apocryphal title. There was I mean, like, there's eleven uh, trains went down from Glasgow to London on the Friday night before the game, um, and uh, they just said. Uh, the, the SFA president the night before the game said just pray for rain and and that's what they got um, and uh, I think some people said the second half performance where Scotland Scotland won the second half uh, three three goals to one and the English, the English consolation goal come in the 89th minute they said it was some of the best football that's ever been seen which is I mean, nice it, it, which is nice which is nice and like you say the, 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 the five forwards between five foot four and five foot seven and Rather than playing at football was played at a crazy pace um, back then, according to Jonathan Wilson, who knows more than me. Um, but an awful lot of it was about um, about kind of getting getting ball, the ball forward as quickly as possible. Um, and where Scotland excelled was you give it to an individual player, and I mean even nowadays, if you give it if it's a wet day and you've got pacey players who can move it move the ball around quickly then you're going to be very dangerous and England were very naive to that and obviously meant that Scotland absolutely cuffed them by putting balls into the box um really there's a couple of really interesting just a little asides in it as well that the the the, the game was took place in front of the king and queen of Afghanistan that was which, yes that was something I noticed <laughs> I, I like that and uh, it was the first Huey Gallagher's um, who was a Newcastle at the time um, uh, Huey Gallagher's first game back for two months because he pushed a referee in a bath which just seems like a very sort of Beano DC Thompson hijinks yeah for, uh, uh, Huey Gallagher's a, a fascinating individual I think there's there's definitely stories about him in both Stuart Cosgrove's old, uh, book about Scottish football, Hamden Babylon, and then also in Stephen McGovern's book, uh, Flawed Genius, both of which I would recommend. Um, but yeah, he's a, uh, as big as a quite a tragic figure, uh, really, Hugh Gallagher. Like, it was, it was a, an amazing talent, but also I think had problems with, with alcohol um, and eventually ended up uh, jumping in front of a train, which is uh, not particularly nice, um, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose one of the things is that uh, Alex James was asked for a comment after the game, and all he said, all he did was smile and say, "We could have had ten, which is a lot, which is a nice sentiment, whether that is the case. But uh, and then I got there was a, a quote from Ivan Sharp, who was a ex-player and was a, was a, co- a journalist for the Athletic News at the time. Said England were not merely beaten; they were bewildered, run to a standstill, made to appear utterly inferior by a team whose play was as cultured and beautiful as I've ever expected to see. Lovely. Not bad. Lovely stuff. Yeah, lovely stuff. Um, the, the other note that I had was um, on Alex Jackson, who scored a hat-trick. Um, just in, for, for, a, for a player in the 1920s, like his career path, so born in... Uh, Born in Dumbartonshire, I think. Born in was he born in Dumbartonshire? Renton, I think he was born. In yeah, Renton. Yeah, that's Dumbartonshire. Yeah, yeah. Um, and was moved to the US to play football for uh, Bethlehem Steel. And I actually w- worked in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. If I knew known that, I would have looked out. Bethlehem Banged out on that for yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bethlehem Steel but, um, played there. Um, won the America Cup 
with them was looked at as a possibility to play baseball because apparently he was just an all-round great sportsman. Uh, brought back to play, him and his brother came back to Scotland to play for Aberdeen in 1925. And he had one like exceptionally brilliant year and then signed for Huddersfield, who, like you said, were like the, the big power in English football at the time. They were um, reigning champions, and what, he, he won the title with them the year later. Um, signed for £5,000, which I think at the time, the world record transfer fee was about £6,000. So you know, one of the most sought-after players in the world at the time. But just, so went to the States, came back to Scotland, went down south to Huddersfield, went to Chelsea, was amazing at Chelsea, and then laterally ended up playing either non-league football or, or, and, and sporadically in France because Chelsea wouldn't release him from his contract. And this is all in the, the, you know, the 20s and early 30s. To have like such a cosmopolitan career and to be so well-travelled with football taking you there. And, I mean, he... Um, I think he, he, he died in military service in his early 40s, but the for football to take you around the world like that, a hundred almost a hundred years ago, can't have been can't have been common. No, absolutely not. And uh, I rem- I remember hearing about this game the, the first time I heard it was I had a VHS. Um, I'm trying to work out how how it was. Maybe 125 years of the SFA. Maybe that was like it had lots of like. Ernie Walker and such like on it, and it went over Scott, famous Scottish victories, and this was one, and it had the the match ball, which is one of the things, and I think that's still you can still see that at the uh, Scottish Football Museum at Hampden, uh, whenever that reopens. So because uh, I remember it being a very white ball that they then got it like tattooed basically on, and I think a lot of the players had signed the ball and stuff like that. So um, that yeah, whether that was ball from the game, I would I'd imagine so because why would you make it up? But um, yeah, uh, and uh, so they probably weren't sought after and kicked into the crowd as much um, back then. But uh, yeah, I think that's possibly it's talked about as one of Scotland's most impressive victories of all time. Uh, it, again, it's difficult to to try and work out that out over almost 150 years now, especially when the footage isn't available um, and so so few countries were playing back in uh, 1928. But it, do, it does. Uh, Annoy you slightly that that obviously that team didn't go on to to play again together, and it was the last ever um, Tom Bradshaw who marked Dixie Dean out of the game. Never played for Scotland again. You know, odd decision. I mean, I think there's lots of odd decisions in Scottish football. But you know, that's that's two years before the first ever World Cup. You would have loved to have seen this this team or a vestige of that team uh, going to Uruguay and seen seen how we could have got on, but. Uh, Alas, we we didn't really believe in the World Cup until what nineteen fifty four, uh, which is a bit annoying, given we had such a head start on the rest of the world that this we could have racked up a couple of titles and uh, made ourselves feel even better. But uh, s- such is life. Absolutely, yeah, a missed opportunity. We, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the world got better as we stopped scoring five against England. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for your time, Tom. I think that's the the end of today's podcast. I think we've been uh, at it long enough. Uh, as ever, thank you very much for uh, for listening. It's appreciated, especially we know everyone's. Uh, it's not the easiest time for everyone. I uh, hope you're all staying safe. And uh, if you need help or whatever, you there are services available. Or drop one of us a line. We'll we'll try and help out wherever we can. Um, but uh, yeah, Tom, thank you very much for for joining us this evening. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, take care.
Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.